0: Have you ever been so busy or having so much fun that you didn't realize how hungry you were at the time? Now, that may have never happened to you, uh, but maybe you've been so busy having so much fun, you didn't realize how hungry you were at the time. We had been with Jesus and his disciples in the wilderness for three days. Jesus was preaching he was performing miracles. Now, I hadn't seen Jesus since he first came to me in the cemetery a couple of weeks ago. You see, I was living in that cemetery. Jesus came to me, and he cast out this demon that was controlling me called Legion. And that demon went out for me, and I was free. No more chains, no more cutting myself with rocks, because of what Jesus had done for me, I went and told everybody about it. Now the pig farmers didn't like me very much because the demon went into the pigs and they went over the cliff and into the sea and died, but even the pig farmers couldn't ignore how much my life had been changed. Yesterday, here in the wilderness, I met a young mom and her little daughter. They were from the coast, from an area called Tyre and Sidon. And I became immediately good friends with this little girl because Jesus had cast a demon out of her as well. But now, on this third day of being in the wilderness, despite the miracles, despite the preaching, we were getting hungry. And when you're hungry, it's hard to listen. I've been told that in some parts of the world, people struggle listening to religious teaching for more than 30 minutes at a time. And I've also been told that in certain parts of the world, people get extremely hungry by noon every day, but especially on Sundays. And it's hard to listen when you're hungry. But here we were in the wilderness for three days, and we were extremely hungry, and we were in a difficult situation. It was a remote area, weren't many people around. All that Jesus and his disciples had were seven loaves of bread and a few fish. I could tell that Jesus and his disciples were discussing the situation, but Jesus always tends to do big things on the third day. And so Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and they began to hand out the bread and the fish. And we ate and ate and ate and ate until we were satisfied fish and bread, food from the water and the land, surf and turf, fish and chips. In creation, Genesis 1, God separated the water from the dry land. And now here in the wilderness, the Creator was feeding us with food from both the water and the dry land. The Creator was doing a new work now in the wilderness. And I found out later that there were actually 4,000 people there that Jesus fed with those loaves of bread and fish. Now, when Jesus cast the demon out from me, that demon went into 2,000 pigs and they died. Now, double that number, 4,000 people were fed and restored and given life because of this miracle from Jesus that went into our bodies. And as we ate, This young mom next to me was crying, and she told me about the first time that she met Jesus. She was desperate to find help for her little daughter. She went to Jesus, and Jesus told her that he had come to give food to the children, not to the little dogs living under the table. This woman, though, she had the wisdom to know that Jesus was talking about the blessings of God coming first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And so with humility and and courage, this young woman responded to Jesus and said, yes, Lord, but, but even the dogs under the table deserve the crumbs that fall on the ground. And Jesus cast out the demon from her little girl. And now this woman and her daughter and all of these Gentiles, they weren't eating crumbs They were eating this incredible feast of fish and bread. And so, as I prepared to go home that evening, I made a mental note to take a side trip to Tyre and Sidon. Maybe it would work to meet this young mom and her daughter again soon. Have I ever mentioned to you how much I dislike water? Like, we're always in this boat. My name is Philip, and the name Philip means lover of horses, not lover of boats. I want to be on land. I hate the water. And on top of that, I'm getting tired of bread, too. And I know it sounds like I'm whining, but we just can't escape water and bread when it comes to Jesus. You see, Jesus took us as his disciples, and he fed 5,000 men And and their families and when the meal was over Jesus gave us as the disciples 12 baskets of leftovers a basket for each of us and we put those baskets in the boats and we started out across the lake and in the middle of the night Jesus showed up to us looking like a ghost on the lake and then we get to the other side of the lake and Jesus feeds 4,000 people with a few loaves and fish and when that meal is over he gives us the leftovers seven baskets We put them in the boats. We go across the lake to a little fishing village called Dalmanutha. Now at Dalmanutha, we ran into the Pharisees. The Pharisees were trying to force Jesus to do a miracle because they wanted to put him to the test and make him look bad. And Jesus refused. He was done with them. We left the Pharisees there in Dalmanutha, and we went back across the lake. And I don't know whose fault it was probably Peter or Judas, because they normally got us in trouble, but somehow we left those baskets of bread in Dalmanutha, and we only had one loaf of bread in the boat. And I could tell that Jesus was frustrated, because he said, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And this caused an argument among the disciples in the boat, And Jesus is just like a parent. He could tell what we were arguing about even if we didn't tell him. And so he began to respond to us, but unlike a parent, he didn't lecture us. Jesus just asked a series of questions Why are you arguing about the bread? Don't you understand? Having eyes, don't you see? Having ears, don't you hear? Don't you remember what I've done? Jesus had so many questions, we had so few answers. I knew there had to be some meaning to this bread and water, but I just didn't know what it was. Have you ever been in a place that was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face? So dark you couldn't see anything? That was my entire life because I was blind from birth, growing up in this place called Bethsaida, living in darkness this entire time. Then one day, Jesus came to us, and my friends took me out to Jesus to meet him. And Jesus took me off to the side of the crowd, which I have to be honest was a relief, because this time at least I wouldn't be embarrassed when the healing didn't work. Jesus took me to the side of the crowd, and he put spit on, On my eyes. I know that sounds gross to you, but it was liquid. It was water going on my eyes. My eyes were dry and hard, just like my heart. And Jesus put this spit on my eyes, and I could see, sort of. Everything was blurry. I was looking at things that I knew were supposed to be people. But to be honest, they look like trees walking around, how I always imagined trees would look. And then Jesus touched my eyes a second time, and now I could see. My sight was restored, and I could see perfectly. And Jesus immediately sent me home. And so that evening, sitting at home, eating a meal of fish and bread, I began to think, why did Jesus send me home immediately? Why did he not send me to tell other people what had happened to me? And I realized the reason was that time wasn't right. You see, what Jesus had done to me in giving me sight that was blurry and then sight where I could see clearly, that was actually a picture of Jesus' entire ministry. We could see Jesus, but nobody completely understood who he was or what he was up to. But one day, In the future, we would be able to see clearly. What I didn't understand at the time is what event, what miracle would have to happen so that we could clearly see who Jesus was. I didn't know what miracle that was going to be, but I couldn't wait to find out. Okay, Mark 8. What a chapter. Like, this is incredible. All these stories, like, coming together. Mark 8 has so many pieces of the Bible story that, that weave together. Mark, Mark 8, we're going to see the culmination of the first half of the gospel. This is the turning point for the gospel of Mark. Next week, we're going to look at the key phrases, the key turning points for, for this gospel. But I think of Mark's gospel at this point like an area where all these roads are coming together. You have different roads, different themes that are all intersecting here in Mark chapter 8. 8. It's like an intersection like I-35 in Indian Hills, or I-35 and 240, where you don't really know where the roads are supposed to go, but they all kind of come together at this point, and then they're going to figure it out. It's that type of place in the Gospel of Mark. All these things are coming together. So next week, I want to show you the key turning point. But this week, I'd like to teach you a concept from Mark 8 that I hope is a great gift for you in your life, in following Jesus. This is one of those things, if we get it, it can really open up parts of the Bible, open up parts of the Christian life for us, and we are going to call it the Jesus two-step, okay? Now, you say, that sounds like a dance move. Yes, it does sound like a dance move. Uh, so, at Emmaus, we have the up in out dance move, which is probably our most important one, up in out But added to that, we are going to add the Jesus two-step, to our dance moves I have no idea what it looks like and I'm sure not going to attempt anything looking like the Texas two-step for you so uh, but think about the Jesus two-step what does this mean well it's based off this idea this question why does Jesus heal the blind man in two steps why don't I just heal him immediately the reality is when you look back across the Bible There are so many times in Scripture where God doesn't do something instantly. He does a part of it, and then he'll do something second to clarify what has happened, or to complete it, or to show where it was really going. You can start in the very beginning of your Bible with Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The creation story is essentially told twice in Genesis 1 and 2. Are there two creation stories? No, but, but they are meant to work together. It wasn't told all at one time. It's one and then two. You go through the Old Testament, and you have many situations where the second child, second kids in the room, don't brag, first kids already have enough insecurities, but uh, where the second kid in the family actually gets the honor, even though the first kid should. So you have Isaac instead of Ishmael. You have Jacob instead of Esau. They're not brothers, but you have King David who's exalted over King Saul, even though King Saul came first. There's something about something happening in two parts. You have the Old Testament and then the New Testament. When you're working your way through the Old Testament, it feels blurry, like where's this story going? What's all this about, where's it happening? And then you get to the New Testament, oh yeah, now, now I see. John the Baptist and then Jesus. John the Baptist comes prophesying. It's a little blurry what he's referring to, but then Jesus comes and it's clear. Jesus' ministry before the cross, it's a little blurry. After the cross and the resurrection, oh yeah, now, now it makes sense. The world that we live in right now, blurry at times. Hard to understand what in the world is happening in this world. The world to come, that will be clear. You know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? Now we see through a glass darkly. It's hard to see what's going on. One day we will see face to face. Think about Paul experiencing this vision, this appearance of Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus comes to Paul. You can read about this in Acts chapter 9 in your Bible. Jesus comes to Paul, and he has this powerful experience with him on the road to Damascus. But for three days, what happens to Paul? Paul. He can't eat, and he has scales over his eyes. But then three days later, Ananias comes to him, and the scales fall off his eyes, and now he can see clearly. And if you don't believe any of those examples from the Bible, just think about your own life. How many times in life has something not made sense at the time, and then you got further on in life, and you looked back, and you have this moment where you say, oh yeah, now I see. (laughs) Now I see. Like at the time, it didn't make any sense. At the time, it was all fuzzy and blurry and I couldn't see what was going on in life. And then I look back on it, and now I see. We teach this concept at Emmaus called already, not yet. Already the kingdom of God has come through Jesus, but not yet have we seen everything that that's going to mean. God's work in your life is not always going to be immediately clear, and it's not always going to be instantaneous, but his work in your life is always going to be intentional. God's work in your life is not always going to be immediately clear, and it's not always going to be instantaneous, but it will always be intentional. The way that God works through scripture, the way God works in our lives, sometimes happens in multiple stages. And let's not just say sometimes, oftentimes happens in multiple stages. It's this process of seeing, this process of unveiling, this process of seeing life and Jesus more clearly. So let's ask a couple of questions. I think I have about three questions I want to put in front of us as we unpack the, the Jesus two-step. And then you can send me videos to show me what the Jesus two-step actually looks like It's a dance move. But uh, uh, we'll add that to our TikTok, I guess, at Emmaus. Um, three questions. The first question, why do we struggle to see? Why is all of life and all of theology and all the things of Scripture, why are they not immediately clear? Like, why why do we struggle seeing? One reason, and, and let's just call it the core reason, is because of spiritual blindness. When Scripture speaks of struggling to see something, of being blind often it's a symbolic metaphorical way of talking about this spiritual blindness that the god of this world has blind our, our, blinded our eyes to be able to see the truth of the gospel we can't see things because we are spiritually blind and the process of being able to see is different and works in different ways for people the pharisees they refuse to see they never will see who jesus is here's this blind man at Bethsaida He sees, but it takes some work. And you know what the question is in the Gospel of Mark as we're reading the Gospel of Mark? The question you should be asking in the Gospel of Mark is will the disciples ever see who Jesus is and and what he's up to? They're blinded. They can't fully see what's going on here. We see the physical side of something, but we can't see the spiritual side of something. Last week, when we had our missions weekend here at Emmaus, one of the missionaries that was here was a young lady named Christy. And Christy had been the worship leader at Multiply Church in Calgary, Canada, the church that we connect with there in Calgary. Christy is no longer able to do that because she began to develop some vocal problems where she couldn't sing, she couldn't lead in the way that she had, and and other things were going on in her life. And at the lunch question and answer panel we had last week, Christy said something that has stuck with me all week. She said, my concern is that something would happen, and I would now be able to sing. My vo- vocal cords would be healed, but my heart wouldn't be healed. Now, that's perceptive. I, I assume Christie's probably in her mid-20s, but that is, a, that is a wise statement, that we would want something physical. We would want some type of physical healing, but we wouldn't understand that there's spiritual healing that happens. There's healing that needs to happen in our hearts and our minds. And so one of the reasons people struggle to see The reason parents that sometimes you can see things clearly and your kids can't, or you can see something clearly and it seems like your coworker or your friend can't, sometimes it's spiritual blindness. The other reason we can't see everything clearly is we're just human. (laughs) We just have limited perspective. We all bring baggage to the table. We all have backgrounds. We all have things that have impacted our lives. We all can only know so much. We have a limited perspective. Not everything that we're going to be able to see one day is clear to us right now. We're just humans, and so there's some things we can't see clearly. Uh, When Bennett, our our son, when when he was a little guy, creative, athletic, funny, just like he is now, but but the kid always came in last place in Easter egg hunts. Like, could not find the Easter eggs. It was just this massive struggle. And he would tell you, this this is true, couldn't see couldn't see. That's what we found out. We took him to the doctor, and one of those parenting moments that just makes you feel that big, realized the reason the kid couldn't find the Easter eggs is he couldn't see the Easter eggs. Like They, they were out there. He just, he just couldn't see them, and so we took him to the eye doctor. He got glasses, and we pull out of the parking garage there in New Orleans at the eye doctor, pull out of the parking garage, and he turns to us and says, oh, wow, there are leaves on that tree oh my goodness, what have you been seeing your whole life? I feel so bad as a parent at this point, but he just couldn't see. It was just something going on with his eyes. We got him some glasses, and all of a sudden the whole world opened up to him uh, at at that moment. We live in a world where we can't see certain things because of spiritual blindness, and sometimes we just can't see things clearly because we're human. We, we, We have these things that stand in our way, but we need to see. Seeing, is life. Seeing makes all the difference. What do you need to see to make a difference in your life? There are two things. Hold on to this. If there's a core of this sermon, anything that I want you to hold on to, this has to be at the center of it. You must see Jesus for who he truly is, and you must see what the mission of God looks like in the world and in your life. Friends, let me tell you, if you can see those two things, if your eyes can be opened spiritually, if your eyes can be opened as, as a created being from God, if you can see those two things, everything else begins to take care of itself. When you look at the Bible, especially the New Testament portion of the Bible, it will often use the word mystery or, or secret. And sometimes we get caught up in trying to solve the mysteries of the Bible. Can I just set you free on something? When the New Testament refers to the mystery It always is referring to either who Jesus is or what he came to do, what his mission in the world is. My hope for you this morning, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, but you come with friends or family or you're interested in the things of faith, my prayer for you is that you would come to see who Jesus is, that he is God with us, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he took the punishment, He took what we deserved. He died for us in our place. And then he rose from the dead to defeat death. And he reigns as king and Lord forever. And he is worthy of everything that you would ever have to give him. See Jesus. That's what we need to see. That your eyes would be open as you go through life, as you read scripture, as you grow in your faith. What's the goal? Not that you get smarter, but that you see Jesus for who he is that your eyes are opened by the Holy Spirit to know how good he is, how glorious he is, how powerful he is, and how much he is worthy of your worship and your life, that your eyes would be opened to see Jesus. And as you see Jesus, then you begin to see what his mission is in the world and what his mission is for you in the world, that the mission of Jesus is wider and longer than we could ever imagine in Scripture, as you think about being able to see the mystery of Jesus coming, part of that mystery is how wide the mission of Jesus is. That it is for all people. Remember, backing up for just a second, slowing down. Got excited there for a second. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, you have, you have these two healings. You have the healing of the 5,000, and then you have the, the, uh, you have the feeding of the 5,000, and then you have the feeding of the 4,000. A good Bible study question would be, why two healings, why two feedings? I'll get that right in a second, why two feedings? Here's the distinction. The feeding of the 5,000 was a Jewish crowd. The feeding of the 4,000 is a Gentile crowd. The reason you have the second feeding is because it is a picture to the people that the blessings in the ministry of Jesus is wider than they could have ever imagined. And the Gentiles, is just a way of saying non-Jew, but it also had the idea of someone that was considered a religious outsider. If you're wondering who the Gentiles are, and you don't know your family background well, and you're not a Jew, guess what? We're Gentiles, I would say, 99% 99% of us in here, unless there's somebody I don't know of, is, is probably a Gentile. Consider religious outsiders, but the ministry of Jesus, the blessings of Jesus were meant to go to all people. We see that mission. One of the things that God will do in your life over time as you grow in faith is your perspective of the world will be widened. To see how the mission of God was meant to go to all people. And you'll feel that eternal urgency that lies before us and you'll realize that the work that God wants to do in your life, it's not just a one-time work, it's an ongoing work, where God continues to redeem you and refine you, and the fancy theology word is sanctify. We we see the holiness of God worked out in our lives over time. Sometimes I see people who become Christians, and and they get frustrated early on because they just don't see the progress that they thought that they were going to see. Guess what? People who have been Christians for decades, they still feel that same way in a lot of ways. Like, there's still this desire to grow. There's still this desire to know more. Jesus, let me see more of you, and let me see more of your mission. Teenagers, students, think about the rest of high school. You think about college. What what, What does God have in front of me? That you would see Jesus more clearly, and that you would see what his mission looks like what his mission looks like in the world, and what his mission looks like in your life, what he wants to do in your life over time. So why do we struggle to see? Spiritual blindness and we're humans. What do we need to see? Jesus and his mission. How do you see those things when life is blurry? Have you ever been at a time in life where the future just looked like fog? (laughs) You just, God, I don't know where this is going. I don't know what this situation is going to develop into. I don't know my next week. Frankly, I don't know my next day. Like I just look at the future, and it feels blurry. It feels fuzzy. What's there in front of me? How do you live in this world when everything looks blurry and foggy? Number one, and we, we take these points from this story of the man who had the blindness and was healed twice. Number one, you draw near to Jesus. When you are in a situation that the future looks fuzzy and you're having trouble seeing how life is working, that is not the time to step away from church. That is not the time to step away from Jesus. That is the time to draw closer to him than ever before. And guess what? You're probably going to need some friends to help you with that. Because your natural instinct is going to be to back away. Your natural instinct is going to be to step away from those things this man who was blind, he had friends who got him to Jesus. (laughs) And you need friends who will take you to Jesus when the future looks fuzzy, when you don't know what to do. And when you get to Jesus, you've got to be honest. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with others. If Jesus spits on this man's eyes and he can see, but it's fuzzy and they look like trees, and Jesus says, hey, what can you see? And the guy's like, oh, everything's great. Uh, Those of you who go to the doctor and you never actually tell the doctor the complete truth about what's going on, like you just give a little bit of of the picture, to get healing, we've got to be honest about what's going on. To be able to navigate when times are blurry or fuzzy, you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest with God and you've got to be honest with the people around you. And you've got to be patient with yourself and patient with the people around you. If you've driven in really bad fog before? Like, if you driven in that fog where it's soupy and the only way you're able to stay in the road is you're watching a little bit of yellow over here and a little bit of white over here and you're trying to stay in the road, that's not the time to set a speed record uh, at, at times like that. Living down the Gulf Coast in New Orleans, we drove through some pretty incredible fog at, at different times. That's the time to be patient with the process. When life is fuzzy, and life is foggy for you, that is not the time in your life to set a speed record for making decisions and doing things. That's a time to be patient with yourself and be patient with others around you and allow God to do the work because he does his work in his own time, in his own ways, but it's always the right work in your life. And as he's doing that work in your life, you have to remain humble and hungry. Man, I love this combination of words. You remain humble because you say, God, I don't see everything. And if I'm honest, I'm really struggling in life. And if I'm super honest, I don't see what you're doing here. I don't see where this situation is headed. But I am hungry to know you more. And if it means I have to go through this foggy situation, I want to see you, Jesus. I want to see your mission. I want to see how you're working. And I am desperate to know you more. So I'm going to be humble about my situation in life. And I'm going to be hungry to know more of the Lord. And when you find yourself in that point, what do you do? You just do the next right thing. <laughs> God, what, what have you set in front of me? What are you calling me to do next? God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, not a floodlight to our future. God's word will help you take the next step. God's word will show you the right path, but God's word may not show you every detail that's out in front of you, but he will show you how to do the next right thing. What is God calling you to do next? when you can't solve all the problems, when you can't figure out everything going on, God, I'm humble before you. I want to know you more. Show me what to do next. Probably my favorite story in the Bible, and I'm biased about this, but probably my favorite story in the Bible about God opening up someone's sight comes from Luke chapter 24. Uh, Luke chapter 24, there's a couple of guys who are walking on the road to Emmaus, we take this story. Uh, Bryant Wright mentioned the story last week in, in his sermon. But these guys are walking on the road to Emmaus, and they encounter Jesus. But if you remember the story, if you've read the story, maybe read it this afternoon in Luke 24 if you're not familiar with it. But they see Jesus, and they don't know who he is. They, they don't recognize him. It, it's un, in a sense their, their sight is blurry. But Jesus goes with them. And in Luke chapter 24, I believe these verses are up on the screen. Luke 24, verses 30 and 31. Would you guys mind bringing those verses? When Jesus was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Then look at the next verse. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures. If you're new to Emmaus, or you haven't been around a long time, one of the things that we think about here at church is God's put us in an area of the world where, let's be honest, a lot of people have heard about Jesus, they're semi-familiar with Jesus, but they don't clearly see who Jesus is. And for us as a church, for us as Emmaus, our hope, is that people would come to see clearly who Jesus is as their Savior and Lord, and as a result of that, that they would know the mission that that he's laid out for them. And so today, as we end our service, we're going to come together, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. There, Jesus is sitting down. He's breaking bread, and he's offering it to them, and their eyes are open. If you're here this morning... And you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You've never given your life to him. As you see people taking of this bread and this juice, can I ask you, just right where you are, in a moment of prayer before the Lord, you don't have to have all the words right, just say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior and my Lord. I trust in you. And after the service, you would come immediately and tell someone, tell someone sitting around you, we'll be up here in the front to pray with you, come and tell us about that. If you're at a time in your life, friends, when the future feels really blurry and really foggy and you're struggling to find your way, you're not seeing clearly in life right now, can I ask you, as we take the Lord's Supper, that you would ask the Lord to open your eyes, that you would say, Jesus, I trust you, I need you, I, I need you to show me where to go. And then after the service, let us pray for you. Let somebody around you encourage you. We want to use this time as our opportunity to respond to the Word of God. What's God done in your life, and what's he want to continue to do in your life in the days ahead? Let me pray for us, and we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. Father, thank you for the way the Bible is, is put together. We know it's a book that can seem incredibly overwhelming at times as we try to read different pages and different stories, but. The way, God, that you have brought all the pieces together, God, the way that you show us who Jesus is through the scriptures, that that our hearts burn, that that our insides testify that, yes, this is true. What, What the Bible says about Jesus is true, and I believe that. And your word shows us the path to take. We know it doesn't lay out every detail. And God, there are people in this room who who have futures that just feel right now so uncertain because of situations, God, may they trust in you more than ever this morning. And God, thank you for the Lord's Supper that we come in humility, we come with spiritual hunger, we come with a desire to know you more than we ever have before. And so God, I pray that this time of worship, this act of worship would be honoring to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) you <laughs>